Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. All right, welcome in. Cube Show Podcast. This is the fourth edition and... Coming off a massive weekend of college football. Big weekend in the SEC. Had some surprises this weekend. This is kind of lettuce weekend where uh, I think a lot of us sort of feel like nothing big is going to happen. Week before rivalry week. Not a lot of stuff that's really going to go in and surprise us. And we'll just wait until next week to get a lot of the things that are going to play out as far as the college football playoff. We already know SEC championship game set with LSU and Georgia. And those two teams didn't really... Didn't think anything was going to be scary for them, but some other teams, we weren't really sure. And it ended up being just a fun weekend. We almost had mass chaos in all of college football. Uh, not just with what happened with Tennessee, which we'll get into here in just a few minutes, but I mean, we had Michigan on the ropes. We had TCU on the ropes. Ohio State on the ropes for half. And it just looked like it was going to be completely bananas. Um, the Oregon-Utah game was a lot of fun. Uh, that one's got some implications. USC handles their business. That had implications. It looks like now Clemson's back in the mix. North Carolina goes down. It's just crazy. It's a bananas weekend. But, you know, here on this show, we dial into the Southeastern Conference. We let you know what we saw on the film and in person and what we learned and who we talked to and all that stuff. So let's get it rolling first. And we'll go Alabama. Obviously, non-conference game. Austin P. Not really a whole lot to talk about. Um, I thought up front on the offensive line, they handled their combo blocks really well early on, got the double teams going and got some pretty good movement in the running game. Jace McClellan was, was spectacular, ran the ball really well, uh, kind of an upright runner, but just gets north and south and gets a full head of steam going. He's tough to bring down. Yes, the opponent was outmatched, but a lot of times you want to see a team like Alabama come in, handle their business. And I thought for the most part, they did that. Where it was a little bit scary were some of the breakdowns in protection. and. I know you probably look at it and say, well, the offensive line didn't play well. They weren't good. Maybe it might be one or two, but when you see those free runners coming from the boundary, so near the sideline, um, and there's not a back there to pick it up or an offensive lineman that's looking to pick it up, that's on the quarterback sometimes. Now, there was one where the back comes out, runs a little angle route right in front of a, I think it was a corner crash. Not sure if there was a miscommunication there or if the back just not responsible, but either way, Bryce Young took two or three really big hits, and that can't happen. Especially against Austin P. It just it just can't take place. Uh defensively, Kool-Aid McKinstry, I thought was great. Brian Branch was all over the place. I thought he had a fantastic game. And Alabama handles their business 34-0. And they'll head into the Iron Bowl at nine and two. So looking for 10 wins. And on the other side of that, the Auburn Tigers coming in looking for a bowl berth. And, you know, Auburn had a had a tricky opponent. I thought this one might could be just a little bit weird. Uh Western Kentucky, a team that throws it all over the yard. And Austin Reed, their quarterback, just having a spectacular season. And you just kind of wondered, all right, emotional against Mississippi State, not able to get it done, but you go to overtime. Then you come out, emotions all over the place against Texas A&M. And you just wonder, are you going to be able to be that team again 
three o'clock on the SEC network. The crowd wasn't quite as big, um, understandably so. It's a non-conference game. And I, I thought I thought they came out and played with the same kind of energy they've had the last two weeks. Offensively, the misdirection still is something that's helping them out a lot. Um, you kind of see the little jet motions come across. You get some split zone. They're lining up the backs at kind of those little H-back positions coming straight across like Hunter and Bigsby. They'll give it to them on the little fly sweep. So they're doing some creative things to keep defenses sort of backed up and on their heels a little bit and maybe give you some visual deception with that. And I think it's really helping the run game because it was it didn't just get going right out of the gate, but they leaned on it and they stayed with it. And I appreciated that. And I like that about what Will Friend and I Killiard are doing, saying this has to work. We're not going to get away from it. If we have six or eight yards rushing the first three possessions, we're not going to throw it out and then try to go shotgun and let the quarterback air it out all over the place. Speaking of the quarterback, I'll say this about Robbie. I think there are some things that he's doing well. I think there's some things that he's growing with, some things that are improving. Um, look at the touch on the screen passes. I, this feels really simple in elementary. I know it, but when you, on, on some of your traditional screens where the quarterback drifts and then he just kind of floats that ball right over the top of the, of the defensive linemen that are approaching, you know, the first couple of games that he was playing, I mean, he's throwing those things like full speed. Like he's going all in on those things. And so I think too, when you look at exactly how he's growing, where he's growing, I think that's one spot that Robbie Ashford is getting just a little bit better. His feel for the game is improving there. Um, and then up front on the offensive line, I thought Brandon Council had a nice game. 71 at center. Uh, you know, he was dinged up a couple of weeks ago, so good to see him back in there. I thought he brought some oomph, brought some physicality. And, you know, that group was okay. They got big help from the tight ends. Um, I thought Luke Deal had a really nice game blocking in the run game. He added a little bit and really helped seal the edge on a couple of big runs. You got a couple of drops. It was a little bit sloppy down the field. Robbie missed a few down the field, but when the run game's going the way that it is, you don't, you don't have to have as much from him. They added some quarterback runs still. He left the pocket a couple of times and he can break a defense down that way. Uh, I, th- I thought up front defensively, Colby Wooden was great. I thought that defensive line did enough to sort of you know, get Austin Reed off platform, make life uncomfortable. And he just kind of couldn't get going. He was just 26 of 55. So a nice day by the Auburn defense. I thought second level defenders were great. That linebacking core has kind of been improving a little bit since Carnell took over and they played some different guys. So I think maybe a little bit of a wake up call for some other guys to say, we got to get in and play the way that we're supposed to play and make sure we handle our business. Thought Tank ran hard, thought Hunter ran hard. And just once again, the effort, the juice seems to be there for this Auburn football team sets up with a very interesting matchup next week in the Iron Bowl. All right, so we'll move on from the Alabama teams. Why don't we just go to where I was over the weekend in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Um, With the Theos Friday night, that's kind of our spot in Fayetteville. Fantastic restaurant, great atmosphere. Uh, They did change the menu up a little bit. And I'll say this, the, uh, the Brussels, not what they were before. Used to be where uh, it was a little small dish of Brussels, and I was have to keep ordering them. I'd go like three, five orders of those things and just hammer them. Um, so those are a little different. Not not exactly what we were hoping for. The sliders for the appetizer were great. The pork chop is massive. Things like a brick when it comes out. Uh, but Theo's great. Went to Hammond Trees uh, for lunch on Thursday afternoon. I got in, I went straight from Kent, Ohio, did some action on Wednesday night. They went straight over to Fayetteville, um, grilled cheese spot there in Fayetteville and whoa, Nelly. It's fantastic. If you're there, 
you have to go sweet potato fries. And then you got to go check out just the different assortment of grilled cheeses that they have. I cannot remember the one that I got. I know I had avocado. I know it was some sort of Gouda and some bacon maybe, but it was lights out. It was, it was amazing. And um, got some of the tater tots from JJ's as well. Friday night. Um, those things were about as big as a golf ball each. And you got to check those out if you get that. All right. So to the game, uh, great meetings with Lane Kiffin, Charlie Weiss, Coach Patches during the week. Uh, those guys were ready to play. I talked to Jake Thornton before the game, talked to Nick Savage, the strength coach before the game. They all said, had a great week of practice. We're set. We're ready. Uh, we, you know, all the guys have checked back in mentally, emotionally ready to go as healthy as they had been in a while coming out of that Alabama game, had the two weeks before to be able to get healthy, thought they had a good plan. Um, and they weren't wrong. They did have a good plan offensively. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable what Ole Miss was able to do on offense. And it just felt felt pretty good about talking to all the coaches and what they thought was going to take place. On the flip side of that, talked to Sam Pittman. They had some concerns. They knew they were getting KJ Jefferson back. He had a good week of practice, um, had an issue with the shoulder, some sort of a bruise, uh, and wasn't able to throw at times. And you go back to the previous two games, I think it was 45 minutes before kick two weeks ago, and then about 23 hours before kick last week where they found out he wasn't going to be able to go or wasn't going to be as effective. And that just completely changes their offense. Arkansas is a completely different team with no KJ Jefferson. And I can tell you, sitting down and talking to him, you can understand why. He's very mature. He understands his surroundings, understands the situation. Uh, he told us he's got a lot more college football to play. Hasn't really thought about next year. Said he is healthier than he's been in the last couple of weeks. He's down from about 252, 253 to uh, about 235, I think he said. He wants to get to 230 and try to play at 230 at some point. Uh, but he's cut out a lot of the fast food, cut out the late night snacks. And man, he gives them a different dynamic because he's a north-south runner, but then he can also escape outside the pocket and hurt you and break you down with his legs. Um, that was a big part of the plan. Uh, Cody Kennedy, offensive line coach, told me that before the game. And then Sam told us that as well, that they had to get him going. Kendall Browse knew that KJ running the football was going to be big because when he has that extra gap that you have to defend, then all of a sudden Rocket Sanders can get going the way that he did. And did he get going? 232 yards, three touchdowns for Rocket Sanders on the ground. He was exceptional. And it was crazy being on the field. You know, all three of us were on the field. Uh, we wanted to try something a little bit different. We did this last year for Ole Miss and Vanderbilt. And it was interesting because um, none of the fans for that game complained about it near as much. They they actually thought it was, it was pretty good for the most part. We got positive feedback. Um, we got into a conversation later in the game uh, that was not meant to be pointed at either university in a negative way. Uh, I know that some folks are taking it that way. Uh, I made no mention of anybody leaving school or any players going with anybody else. I felt like I balanced out the advantages of two different schools, but people are going to hear what they want to hear. It's fine. Uh, I think Ole Miss is great. I think Ole Miss has got a lot going for them. Ole Miss has Lane Kiffin right now, and that's what you need to know. But I was asked about the Auburn situation. So I share my thoughts on what you would get by going to Auburn. Not one coach, but just any coach. And so we talked about it. And we had that discussion on air because it's newsworthy and it's a part of what's happening inside the Southeastern Conference right now. And the game was a blowout. But I thought Rocket Sanders was just exceptional. Being on field level, watching him, it's amazing on some of that inside zone stuff how small the creases are that he fits into. And he has he has this innate ability to just sort of wait, 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 and then burst. He's very patient, and then he just, boom, he hits the hole. And on the other side of that, I mean, Quinchon Judkins is the same way. He presses the line of scrimmage and presses individual blocks as well as any back maybe that I've ever seen. 
And he just has a little bit more East and West in him than, than Rocket Sanders does. Rocket Sanders is just maybe a little bit more of a power back North and South, but has the speed to get away. He just, he's a guy that does everything well. There's not one thing that he can't handle or can't do well. And he had a great game. I thought the Arkansas offensive line had a great game. I thought Ole Miss needed to make some adjustments and, and add to the front, try to get bigger. I know that defensive line's been banged up for a long time, but outside of two, Cedric Johnson and 15, they couldn't get much of a pass rush without bringing extra bodies. And then some of the run blitz stuff, you're scared to do that because you got the RPO game uh, with KJ Jefferson. So if you run blitz, he gives you the fake. Obviously, he's going to have something to go hit there through the air. So that Ole Miss defense just never kind of got comfortable. But the reality was for Ole Miss because the, the Ole Miss plan was great on offense. And you know you have a three down front, so you see it in practice every day. Arkansas, very similar. And it was cool talking to Bumper Pool, uh, inside linebacker for Arkansas, telling us that one thing they had to do was stay stationary. And you think about that. like How hard is that for a linebacker? Because you got the tight end coming across in split zone. You got these jet sweep motions coming from the wide receivers. And you have to just stay put and wait for things to develop, and then go attack the football. It feels like it's just completely ass-backwards from what a linebacker would be. See ball, get ball. That's what we always say, right? You attack the football. You have your gap, you fit it, and you know you go and you be physical, whether it's taking on a guard or a fullback or a tight end, whatever that is, or just fitting up in and some sort of a run blitz. Like Linebackers are attack, 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 and you can imagine just being stationary would be extremely difficult. It kind of goes back to what Brad White told us against – the Kentucky D coordinator playing against Mississippi State early in the year where the previous year his guys were drifting. The linebackers were drifting back instead of just staying stationary. And as they drifted, well, that created more space between them and the checkdowns to the backs. So all of a sudden, Will Rogers is checking it down, and then there's 15, 17 yards between the ball carrier and the linebacker. So obviously Mississippi State was going to get yards, and they didn't drift as much this year while they had more success. So – Bumper pool kind of giving us that as far as what they had to see and how they had to identify it. <laughs> Did they do a great job of it? I mean, I thought they played okay. Drew Sanders made some amazing plays. And that the interception that he had was fantastic. You see him come up and be able to rush the passer. He is just he, he's an unbelievable player. He's going to shred the combine. And I think he's going to be an early round draft pick because now his versatility. He at Alabama, he was on the line of scrimmage pass rusher off the edge. So he has the handwork. He's got the dip and rip. He understands speed to power, but now he can play off the ball and he's fine off the ball. He can play in coverage. He can play in space. He can blitz from depth. He's just, he, he's an amazing player. And I mentioned Quinchon Judkins a little bit earlier. It's another amazing player, 214 rushing yards, 24 carries. He sets the freshman record at Ole Miss 703 yards for Ole Miss in this game. Um, it really came down to a couple penalties early. I mean, 12 penalties in the game. It's too many for Ole Miss. Uh, a couple of those took points off the board. You know, you fumble the mesh early right there. gives Arkansas the ball in scoring position. And then you had another turnover late that I felt like cost Ole Miss points. Outside of that, the game was pretty even. I mean, neither defense played great. Ole Miss was up and down the field. Arkansas up and down the field. It's just three turnovers to no turnovers, 12 penalties to seven penalties. Shake that out however you want. Decipher that however you will. That was the difference in the game. Regardless of how it played out, what it is, what it was, uh, I thought Lane and Charlie Weiss Jr. had a great plan. I thought Jackson Dart played well, 21-36, to but you know he fit some balls in some tight windows when he had to. Um, you know, Converted a couple of third downs, made a couple of big throws late to kind of squeeze Ole Miss back in and maybe have a chance to get back in that game. Uh, but I thought 
as far as low percentage throws that he actually made, it was one of his better games. So Arkansas gets bowl eligible. It's big for Sam. And it was cool talking to Sam Pittman and Bumper Pool too because they said, this is a big deal. We want to get to a bowl game. This is a reward, but it also shows where the program is and it's something that we can celebrate. And, you know, kind of sidebar, I talked about this a little bit on the broadcast. I love celebrating these things that we're getting in college football that we've gotten away from. Like last year with Ole Miss, 10 wins in the regular season, first time in school history. That should be celebrated. Uh, going to a bowl game should be celebrated. And, you know, senior day for Arkansas, their Razorback Stadium Saturday night, that should be celebrated. It's a big deal. It's an accomplishment. Yeah, a lot of things in college football are different. I know the, the playoffs are really cool and it's a massive deal, but we should celebrate some of these other things as well. Um, you know, you look at Kane Womack down at South Alabama, nine wins, the, the most wins in, in school history. Seven was the most, and now he's up to nine. Uh, John Summerall at Troy's won eight straight games. His first year at Troy's got that thing picked up and going. So some of these little accomplishments, like Eastern Michigan, if they win this week, it's the first time they've won eight games since 1987. It's a big deal. And we just don't pay attention to any of them. So for me, I like to celebrate those other victories in college football that don't include making the college football playoff. Even though the college football playoff is great, we get it, we know it. So Ole Miss will be going Thursday night, Thanksgiving, Egg Bowl. Should be a good one because that Mississippi State defense was great. Now, East Tennessee State, I realize it's not much of an opponent, but physically I thought they got after him. You shut them out to the fourth quarter. Uh, so that group handled their business, did exactly what they needed to, and boy, did Will Rogers handle his business. This kid looked so comfortable in the pocket. Uh, I thought LaQuinston Sharp played great at center, 63. Uh, he brought some physicality, even in pass pro. Pass pro is not passive, by the way. Don't know if you knew that. But LaQuinston Sharp brought some physicality. Uh, you know, he's banging people around. Speaking of which, I didn't give a shout out to a couple of offensive linemen. Ricky Stromberg from Arkansas, I thought had a really nice day. And Nick Broker, again, for Ole Miss. It's almost every week, but he had a couple big blocks. He had a couple slabs, a couple good finishes. And just want to point those guys out. I left them out in the previous game. Um, but Mississippi State, the offensive line, they, they gave Will Rogers all day. He goes for 301, five touchdowns. Uh, and he moves up into number nine all time in the Southeastern Conference history in passing yards. He passed Eli Manning, 10th player in the history of the Southeastern Conference to go for over 10,000 passing yards. And he's going to climb up the those ranks pretty quick. And he can still come back for, I believe, two more years, which is completely nuts. I mean, if, if he could go NIL and get that thing in order, he could come back and shatter every SEC record and nobody's going to get anywhere near it if he wanted to. And obviously he's going to have a bright future either way, no matter what he does. 56 to seven Mississippi state gets that win against East Tennessee state. Uh, they're now seven and four on the season. Uh, this was one where you could have slept walk. You could have come out. I thought run after catch was really nice on some of the short stuff. Uh, the run game, not as consistent as you would like to see it. They didn't lean on it as much, but all in all, I thought it was a clean performance for Mississippi state handled their business, did the things that they needed to do. And they get through it. Not as clean would be Texas A&M. Uh, and I had this game on in the hotel room for a little while because I was just mesmerized with how this was happening. Yes, it was raining. Yes, it was windy. Yes, the crowd was hiding underneath the upper deck. So the atmosphere wasn't great. You had a home game there at Kyle Field that's supposed to get you going. This wasn't really that. Um, you know, Connor Wigman dropping a pass as he's attempting to throw it. They had snap issues. They had drops uh, on his passes. Receivers drop balls. Offensive linemen turning guys free. It was just, 
It was sloppy. That's all I can say. But you all stick straight. You needed a win, no matter what, no matter how. Any damn way you could get one, and Texas A&M got it. So they end that streak. They get to four and seven. 20 to three, they knock out UMass. Quarterback run gave him some issues early on. Then I think that defensive line kind of settled in. Uh, A-Chain still didn't go for Texas A&M. We know what a massive part of that rushing attack in that offense he is. So that was big. I did think that Moss looked pretty good for Texas A&M. I think he's going to be a back. He's got a really bright future. Uh, and when we when we had A&M this year, Jimbo had really nice things to say about him. He really believes that he can be dynamic and be somebody who helps that football team. Um, the offensive line... I just didn't think was super impressive. Um, I'm just waiting for that group to come around. And I thought maybe you could go find a little bit of it against UMass. And it just wasn't there. Muhammad back in the lineup, whatever the deal is with the sleeves or whatnot. He had a couple of big catches, helped that offense out as well. So they get to win at home. Um, we'll go to a couple other non-cons, get those out of the way, and then get to the bigger ones. Uh, Missouri handles New Mexico State, 45-14. Brady Cook, much more efficient in this game. I thought he took care of the ball better. I thought they did a nice job getting Luther Burden involved early. I thought the tackles were pretty good in the stretch zone. 76 had a nice game on the outside on the perimeter. Um, and Brady Cook still adding with his legs. I think he helps that offense go. Uh, he utilizes the legs to help break defenses down, make them play you a certain way. Cody Schrader is a phenomenal north and south runner. And it's fun to watch because Missouri will get that, that stretch zone going and it's like flat all the way to the sideline. They'll widen you out, widen you out, widen you out. And then they'll get Schrader in there and they'll hand it to him a few times and it's just boom, north and south. And he puts his head down. There was one play where a New Mexico State defensive lineman spins off a block. He spins off the block right back into Schrader and Schrader just bulldozes him. Now, he didn't have time to set up, but this is a D, like a D tackle on a running back and as soon as he spins into it, it's like face mask to face mask, and he trucks him. Uh, but Schrader gives you that physicality north and south. He's a, just a fun back to watch. And he had a nice game. Luther Burden, nice game. I thought that defensive line, super active for Missouri. They've been that all year. And they shut this offense down. Uh, 144 on the ground, 115 to the air. They took the ball away. So Missouri handled their business there, and they have a chance to get to a bowl game. Now, battle line, rivalry game, trophy game, big game. But this is also for bowl eligibility. So I expect Eli to have everything on the table offensively. Uh, if they've got it, they're going to throw it out. And Blake Baker's going to probably have a similar plan to be able to attack that zone scheme that Arkansas has, get KJ Jefferson slowed down. That'll be a fun game to watch because a lot on the line for Missouri. If they have bounced back and now just one went away uh, from bowl eligibility, and they'll get the Razorbacks next week. All right, so UAB, LSU, non-con game, Baton Rouge, late kick, 41-10, LSU. Jaden Daniels had the RPO going early, and it was really cool to see kind of the rhythm and the timing coming out of those fakes and just boop, boop, boop. He's completing some quick passes. Now, usually on some of those quick hitters, those LSU receivers will give you dynamic runs afterward. They didn't even, They didn't give you the big gains that you were used to give UAB some credit for being able to tackle. Um, I think they got the downhill run game going just a little bit more. Some of that with Jalen, he ran for, or Jaden, he ran for over hundred yards. Again, we know what his legs have been to this offense means a lot, uh, opens up a lot and he can be a dynamic runner. Uh, Noah Kane got going a little bit more in this game. Uh, so you saw multiple backs for LSU have a nice game. Uh, Will Campbell, 66 and 75 at right guard. I thought both had good games up front for LSU, like pushing guys around, moving guys around. The defensive front for LSU, very active. Um, the same cast of characters, 92, 99, and 18. 
40 up there running around, 30 downstairs helping. But the thing that you need to understand about this game is this is an elite rushing attack that UAB brought to the table. They have a wide receiver in Trey Shropshire that can take the top off. I think he leads the nation in yards per catch. He did at one point this year. I don't know if he's down to where he doesn't lead the nation anymore. But you held Dwayne McBride and UAB to 48 rushing yards. That shows you right there what this LSU defensive front seven is all about. And I'll throw the safeties in too because Jay Ward comes down and plays the run really well. The, the, the back end is not afraid to come up and play the run, but the front seven is, is what makes it happen with Olajari and Gay and all those guys. The, I'm just telling you, uh, Dwayne McBride was leading the nation in rushing coming into this game. That offensive line's played a ton of football together. They utilize the tight ends well. Brian Vincent does a good job calling it. And LSU stymied that rushing attack. Very impressive performance. Don't undersell the performance of Matt House's defense against this UAB rushing attack because it is a very difficult group to slow down. They have been dominant all season. And LSU gets another win. It was just an impressive performance. Tight ends helping in the run game a little bit. Uh, Mason Taylor's doing a really nice job of not just being a willing blocker, somebody who's really learning the technique and fundamentals of it. He's come a long way since the beginning of the season. So uh, LSU handled their business 41-10. They get to 9-2. and two. They'll go for 10 wins next week against Texas A&M. All right, so we get into some conference matchups here. Georgia and Kentucky. This was kind of a weird one early. Now, I'll say this about both teams. I appreciate the commitment to the rushing attack because neither team was dominant on the ground early, but they both stuck with it. And they both basically said, we will continue to bang our head on this wall until it gets going. Now, the difference is Georgia is just flat out more capable up front on offense to be able to find a way to eventually get it going. Uh, I thought Stetson Bennett played a little bit less high risk football than we had been talking about the previous few weeks. Didn't try to sneak as many in as he did against Florida and a couple of other teams that he played. Tennessee was one, too. Um, I thought the, the game plan on both sides was very low risk for Georgia. I, I don't know how intentional that was. I don't know if it just kind of played out that way, but you didn't see a lot of balls down the field. Didn't put the ball in the air as much. And Kenny McIntosh just kind of was dominant. Some easy throws. I mean, they spit it out to McConkie in the perimeter. He gets it going. Bowers had a quick screen that he kind of made happen. Missed one down the sideline. I think it was a little wheel route to Washington. Had that one open. Stetson missed that one. But it was a, I don't want to say vanilla plan because you still had motions, shifts. You still had a lot of different formations uh, and some different play fakes. But it was just a low-risk game plan for Georgia, which I'm fine with. If you have the confidence to come in, your personnel is better. You think you guys are going to show up. You go in and handle it that way. I, guys, I had this game in Lexington a couple of years ago. I think it may have been the COVID year where neither team threw the football in the first half. And the, the, the game itself took like two hours and 50 minutes. Like it was like, boom, boom, boom. We're out of here. Georgia got the win. Uh, somewhat similar to that. Kentucky kind of tried to keep the rushing attack going. They got something going through the air a little bit later. The catch and run is what they really needed. And, you know, a couple desperation heaves late. Barry on Brown gets one. Um, felt like Levis was rushing some things a little bit early. I know the protection hasn't been there and been what he needs. The tight ends were big, helping him out both in the run game protection and caught a couple of passes early trying to loosen some things up. Chris Rodriguez was running hard. There wasn't a ton of space, but he was running hard. He kind of opened some things up and did a few things. Levis looked like he was a little nicked up there at one point. I think that did affect him the rest of the game, but he's, and that gets so tough. Like, I mean, you talk about a 
middle linebacker mentality at quarterback, that is Will Levis. And he is a gamer, and it is going to take a lot to keep him out and keep him from competing. Uh, but nonetheless, Georgia gets to win 16 to 6, 11 and 0, number one team in the nation. Kentucky falls to 6 and 5. So I want to try to get to 7 next week against Louisville if you're the Wildcats. Uh, Florida Vandy. Wow. Our first wow game of the weekend. There was a big wow, and there was this wow. Um, if you've listened to this the last couple of weeks, if you follow my takeaways on Twitter, at Cole Kublik, um, and once again, we're not going to sit here and tell you how many people listen to us, how many people like us, how many people adore us, what our age demographic is, and we're so popular, and you know we got these giveaways. We're just going to talk ball. It's what we want to do, so we want to try to lay out for you, share information that we get over the weekend, and just kind of tell you what the film showed us and just kind of go from there. Um, the effort from Vanderbilt's been there. It has not died down for Clark Lee's bunch. There have not been games, no matter what the score was, that you put the film on, and when you walked away from it, said, yeah, those guys quit. Those guys just aren't playing hard anymore. Like They, they don't want to be out there. I haven't seen that all year. So now, all of a sudden, you get that with being at home, cooler temperatures. I mean, think about what we saw over the weekend. Ole Miss goes to Arkansas. Weather's cold, and what happens? Arkansas is able to get that win in a fairly dominant fashion. Um, you know, we'll talk about Tennessee going to South Carolina on the road here in a minute. Place is loud, totally different atmosphere. They handle their business there. Um, so you have seen some teams kind of going on the road, especially in cold weather. And it like, I mean, look what happened to AM. They're at home, but the weather's miserable. It's cold, it's rainy, it's windy, and they struggle to be able to get it. So Florida's a team, obviously, that, that doesn't really do well in cooler temperatures. And it was a little somewhat similar to that again. I mean, you can't say they didn't have anything going. Anthony Richardson threw for 400. They found some offense. It's just weren't able to capitalize as much as they needed to. Special team score for Vandy almost looked like it put it out of reach. You knew all the momentum was with the Commodores there. And they played clean football. I mean, Vanderbilt played clean football for the most part. And you know, the, the turnovers were even, so that, that sort of evens itself out. And Vandy got it going on the ground. And Florida could not consistently find the rushing game. Montreal looked like he was going to get it going early. There were a couple that kind of hit. And you're like, all right, this is going to open up. This is going to get going. And then it just it just ran into a wall. And maybe Billy and those guys were calling too many pass plays. Maybe they thought that's what they had to call. The boxes were populated, I will say that. Um, you know, They were running against some, some populated boxes. You saw that a lot this weekend. Like Auburn saw heavily populated boxes against Western Kentucky. Um, who else did I see that had populated boxes that they were trying to run in again? A&M had it a little bit. Missouri had it some. Alabama had it against Austin P. But got, teams just kind of kept banging their head saying, we're going to find a way to get this going, and they did. Um, I think right now, if you asked me, Ray Davis, Vanderbilt running back, see, most of you, I even say that. I say Ray Davis, most of you guys don't even know who he is. I think Ray Davis is the most underrated player in the SEC. And I really mean that. This kid runs his ass off. He is physical. He's been pretty durable. And he's just been do it all for Vandy. And I think some of the things that they did, this coaching staff did a really nice job of using formations to be able to kind of steal yards. So extra tight ends. And, you know, Bresnahan did a really nice job sort of blocking. Schoenwall did a nice job blocking him up in the run game. Caught a couple of passes here and there. You know, Bristol Hand had one for 28 yards. It was a big catch at the time. But look at Mike Wright. 
We talk about opportunities, getting your chance, sticking around, not pouting. Mike Wright goes out to Hawaii game opener, and he looks like he's going to be a Heisman candidate. Not what they need. A couple weeks later, he gets benched. Here comes A.J. Swan. We had the Alabama game. Clark Lee told us before the game, he is our quarterback. We're not playing two. I need a quarterback. I need a leader. I need a field general. I need someone to assert themselves and be the guy. At that position, Clark Lee believes you have to have the guy. Well, they lost their guy to injury. Here comes Mike Wright again. Super efficient. 10 of 16 through the air. He completed big passes at big points in this game. Must have moments. Three touchdowns a pick. He has just 13 yards rushing, but the escape ability, you have to defend it, be aware of it. That opens some things up in the run game. And Vanderbilt gets a win, 31-24 over Florida at home. Just monumental, man. It really was. And now they broke the, the SEC losing streak last week. Now they broke the, they go out and win consecutive games for the first time in forever in the league. They're 5-6 and six and 2-5 and five in conference. It has been a season that exceeded all the expectations for Clark Lee. And he said after the game, like, this is the direction. This is, we're building. We're not even close, but we're building. We're trying to get there. And now you're seeing some of the steps, some of the work begin to pay off. They've had to exchange quarterbacks. They've had some other injuries. And, you know, they got a running back that they can lean on. They got a big physical target and Will Shepard down the field that they can utilize. And with Mike Wright in the game, a mobile quarterback that can break you down in different ways. I love the defense, though. They fly, Anthony Orgy flies around. Uh, Dericky Wright flies around. The linebackers just, they attack the football. They're heavy handed up front, even though they get pushed out of their gaps occasionally. They're not big bodies, but they just play hard, man. Like they're a team that if you watch them, you appreciate what they're doing because they don't have the talent to just go out and beat people all the time, but they play the game the way it's supposed to be played. They fight their rear ends off and hats off to Clark Lee and that group, not only for getting that win. But getting to five wins on the season and having a chance to get to be bowl eligible next week against Tennessee. My crew is going to be on the call for that game. We'll be in Nashville uh, a couple of days after Thanksgiving as Tennessee will now go to Nashville looking for 10 wins. Rivalry game, uh, not a great matchup for Vanderbilt. I'll, I'm, I feel fine saying that. Um, but no one saw this coming. No one saw 21 points in the first quarter for South Carolina. Nobody saw 63 points in the game for South Carolina. Nobody saw 438 yards and six touchdown passes for Spencer Rattler. Folks, 30 of 37, this was the Spencer Rattler that we had been waiting for. And Jordan told us a cool story during the game that Coach Beamer, when they were on the set of SEC Nation, said he sat Spencer down this week and said, listen, man, I could have gone and gotten any quarterback that was available to dink and dunk and manage the offense and take the check downs, get out there and let it rip, let it go, go try to make something happen. And what does Spencer Rattler do? He goes out there and he has a day, but it wasn't just that. It wasn't just Spencer Rattler. Uh, I give coach Satterfield offense coordinator for South Carolina, a lot of credit. I love the way they used to carry on Joyner. You saw him in the bowl game against North Carolina last year. He looks like he's getting healthier. He's been beat up this year. Put him at quarterback. Get you some Wildcat stuff going. Choo-choo-choo. Get Jaheim Bell in there at running back. Put him at H. Put him in the slot. Throw it to him. Hand it to him. 17 carries, 82 yards. I mean, you don't have your bowling ball of a running back in Marshawn Lloyd, so you got to work it other ways. Jaheim Bell had a nice game. The carry-on Joyner did some nice things to help out. But Juice Wells was the dude. 11 catches, 177 yards. 
Now, Josh Fan did some good things. A, a couple other guys helped out in this game. Jalen Brooks had a couple nice catches. But let me just tell you about Juice Wells. You're going to see 11 catches for 177 yards. You're going to see uh, one carry for three yards and a touchdown. And you're going to see the explosive plays. Dive into the film and watch this young man block because he attacks people. He is a freaking pit bull when they are running the ball or they got a screen coming his way and he's not getting the football. That's my favorite part about him. And he's got a coach that I know gets that out of him and wants to get that out of him. But man, he is a fighter. And, and Coach Beamer told us like when he got here, they knew they were bringing some of that to the, to the room, to the receiver room, and they needed it. But it was funny because Coach Beamer said, I had to pull him out of about a month. Like he's about to run off the other receivers. Because he's just in there like challenging everybody every day, going at them. And he's like, hey, we need that, but we need you to chill out just a little bit. All right. We need the other guys to be happy here too, but we love what you're doing. We love how you're pushing the other guys. And he was able to make it happen. Now, South Carolina gets a huge win. They get to seven and four. People were talking about three or four wins for Shane this year. And he has exceeded all the expectations again. They'll get Clemson next week. Uh, for a chance to get to eight wins. Just a marvelous year. I thought defensively, uh, 91, really big game up front. Uh, Tonka Hemingway, I thought, had a nice game up front. And Six had a nice game up front for South Carolina. The interior of that defensive line caused some real problems. And Tennessee couldn't really get the run game going. Tennessee missed some shot plays down the field. I will say that. And then you lose Hendon Hooker and you're a different team. And total sidebar, Hate to see it, man. Such a special kid. We, we, you know what he does for youngsters. Uh, you know what he's meant to that team, to that community. What he's meant to college football. Um, transferring in, Jeremy Pruitt leaves. Heupel comes in. Joe Milton gets the job. A couple games later, Hinden Hooker's the guy. And then, what does he go, like 35-3? and three? Touchdown interceptions over his next like 15, 16 games. He's just been lights out. He's been amazing. I hope it's not bad. I hope we get to see him again. I will not be surprised if we don't see him play any more college football uh, because he wants to get himself prepared. He wants to take care of his body. But I just I hope it's not a serious injury because I've, I've had the pleasure of sitting down with him a couple of times. Our, our TV crew has. He is so polite. He is so humble and so appreciative, really, of just college football and where he is and what he has and the people around him. He's an amazing story. And I hated to see him go down in this game. And Tennessee goes down and most likely is going to be out of the college football playoff. But still, folks, nine and two, chance to get the 10 wins in the regular season, chance to go to a New Year's Six Bowl. There's a lot on the, on the plate still for Tennessee. And Josh Heupel and that staff have to find a way to get it there and make sure that the folks know and the kids know what they're playing for and what else is going to be out there. All right, so that's it. Massive weekend in the Southeastern Conference. Those are kind of some of the things that I saw on film, uh, some of the things that stuck out to me. And what we had in our game, like I mentioned, Tennessee Vandy, we're going to be on that one next week. The Iron Bowl gets a little bit bigger with Auburn getting another win. They can get to bowl eligibility. Bama going for 10 wins in the regular season. LSU going for 10 wins in the regular season. Georgia trying to stay undefeated against Georgia Tech. Whew, Tennessee wants 10 wins in the regular season. South Carolina's trending up. Vandy's trending up. They want a bowl berth. There's a lot going on next weekend, man. And we got through this lettuce weekend. If you haven't heard me explain that before, I think I did it last week on the pod. Everybody calls this cupcake weekend. Cupcakes are good. We like cupcakes. We want more cupcakes. Give me the cupcakes. 
Everybody says they want to get rid of these little non-conference games. Well, you don't want to get rid of cupcakes. What's one thing we don't need any more of ever? Lettuce. Nobody asks for extra lettuce in their salad. Nobody asks for extra lettuce on their burger. Nobody wants any extra lettuce with anything. So this lettuce weekend with East Tennessee State and UMass and Western Kentucky, New Mexico State, it's out. It's rivalry weekend. It's massive. We have playoff implications, New Year's Six Bowl implications. Bowl birth bids are going to be on the line. It is going to be a fun week of college football, not just weekend, week of college football, because now we have two SEC games on Friday, which is going to be magnificent. Florida State's trending up. You've got Clemson now with a chance to maybe get in the playoff. That makes two SEC games that much bigger. Brent Key just beat North Carolina. How about the old O-line coach Brent Key getting the massive win? They're going to play Georgia, see if they can find a way to finagle something there. It's going to be a huge week of college football. Maybe have something special for you planned during the week to kind of give you an early preview. Have some fun with that. But we always appreciate you guys tuning in. Of course, I have to ask you to please like, rate, review, subscribe, however, whatever it is that you do. I'm not a podcast expert, but we love bringing you college football. We've had great feedback so far, and we're appreciative that you guys are tuning in. Uh, Have a happy Thanksgiving. Be thankful for those around you. Be thankful for what you have. I'm thankful for my family, my beautiful wife, my awesome children, my jobs that I have, the people who I get to work with every day, McElroy on the radio, Tom, Jordan, Bill, um, Brad our producers, Kevin, everybody that we work with on our TV crew is just magnificent. Um, I'm truly blessed in a lot of different ways in my life. I hope you are as well. Be appreciative for what you have. Remember what we have and how great this country is. Have a happy Thanksgiving, and we will be back next week. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.